first uh, message series over the next seven weeks on uh, Grace is Greater. And as Pastor Derek encouraged you, I really want to encourage you as well to get connected to one of the community groups that we have. You know, back in May, I was at a graduation uh, ceremony, and uh, there was a Marine who was speaking to the participants in the ceremony. And and most graduation ceremonies are, are snoozers, right? I mean, those things are tough to sit through. But he did a great job of sharing about his life, and he had come through the school. And um, he, he gave this phrase that really stuck in my mind, and I just want to kind of give it to you in regards to this community groups that we're doing and that we're starting up here. He said this. He said, personal relationships are the ark that are built before the flood. Let me say that again. Personal relationships are the ark that is built before the flood. And you do not know where 2018 will send you. You do not know the storms that will come or how high those waters might come upon you. But just know that God gives us one another. It was wonderful to see so many people being prayed for, so many people coming forward for those needs. You can do that during the worship time. You can come by after or before the services. We are honored to get to pray with you. Personal relationships. And there's nothing quite like being in a community group, being in a family where people know you, you begin to develop those relationships so that when those storms come, when those rainwaters come, that that ark just floats instead of feeling flooded and burdened under that. So just want to encourage you in that. Get out there, sign up for that today. Let me just say as well, great fun last week. Uh, first time we were in here on an ongoing basis. Uh, we now have two different styles of worship as well as two different locations where we do worship. Some of you might not know that. We have an 8 o'clock service that still meets in our worship center over on the main grounds, 8 o'clock in the morning, more traditional style. And then, of course, this at 9.30 and 11.15. So we just encourage you. I'm also calling those of you out online who are listening to us right now. Come. If you are close enough to First Baptist, come. Be a part of those one. uh, Be a part of those styles of worship. If one doesn't work for you, get to the other one. Um, There are great ways to worship the Lord. And so we just know that it is important, though, to be in family and to be in community. You know, we're going through some changes here at First Baptist. And one of our senior saints wrote me an email this last week. Uh, She just kind of wanted to affirm some of the things that we're doing. Um, She's actually in her 80s, um, but is still pumped along, still serving in tremendous ways. Let me read you the email. She said, hi, Pastor Brad. And you never know when you get an email from one of our older saints which way it's going to go, right? Especially with shooting off T-shirts last week and all that kind of fun stuff. I had nothing to do with that. That was all Pastor Derek, all right? But she she said, hi, Pastor Brad. I want to tell you that your message yesterday was powerful to me. I truly was blessed. She said, for some reason, I have been impressed that I have to pray more for you. Said, it is truly a burden to try to lead such an age-ranging congregation and make everyone happy. She says, that's not your job, really. But I can only imagine the strain on you as you try. She said, we 8 o'clock people know that these young people are the future of the church, and we are happy to see the growth there. We love our music director, that's Damon, and we're impressed and love our new music director, Daniel Stevens, as well. She came here to the uh, 10 o'clock service last week. She says, I left there very happy that we have all made the right choice all the way around. 
She said, the landscaping was magnificent and a blessing to see. God bless you. Many of us have you covered with prayer. You know, I look at someone like that and I say, praise God, she got it. She understands that the message will never change. It is always going to be the message of Jesus talking about his goodness to us, talking about his grace for us, forgiveness of sin for us. The message never changed. The median, however, does. The way we do those kinds of things will change from time to time, from year to year, decade to decade. My goodness, we want it to be able to change to have new and fresh ways of worshiping our Lord. So just want to kind of encourage you all on that as well. Today, though, we are launching into Grace is Greater. And if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Romans chapter 6? You can have them on your phones, your Bible app, if you have that. We also have it up on the screens or it's on your outline as well. Now, as you come to Romans chapter 6, I actually want to have you put your finger right there and go back one chapter. Because Romans chapter 6 is somewhat of a, um, an explanation of what was brought up in Romans chapter 5. So Romans chapter 5 begins with Paul starting to flesh some things out. And in verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 5, here's what he says. And then he takes the rest of Romans 5 and kind of explains it and then gets into chapter 6. He says this, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this, what's the word there? Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul kind of states this and then he fleshes out the main idea of Romans 5 and he beats any of you to the punch who want to now say, since we have this amazing, glorious, indescribable grace, can we just go ahead and keep sinning all that we want so that grace will even abound and increase more? He's like two steps ahead of us saying, before you get to this place, let me give you my response. All right? And here's what he says. Well, let me, let me just say this. The, the reason I'm bringing this up, the reason Paul brings it up, is because grace is too good to be true. It is too great. In fact, you will hear this taught and preached and shared in true Bible-believing churches that grace is free, grace cannot be earned, it cannot be bought. It is too good to be true. And most of the times, as Americans, if we hear that something is too good to be true, what do we say? Run, right? It, it, it can't be. It, it's too good to be true. And so you'll hear that message, and that's one side of the pendulum as it swings that way. And so oftentimes when it does, then we kind of kind of swing the other way. And so Paul brings this up from the other side, and that's where he picks up Romans chapter 6. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, here's where we're launching into today. It says this, what shall we say then? Because we have this incredible grace, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? In other words, because grace is so good, why don't we just sin more so that we have more grace? See how that works? Some of you have thought that, haven't you? That's a good, that's a good you know, line of thinking. Why not? The more I sin, the greater God's grace is. I'm helping God. I'll sin a little bit more, right? 
fact, Chuck Swindoll said like this. He's a pastor, a theologian. He gives an interesting comment. He says, if you are really preaching grace, yet someone is not misunderstanding it in this type of a way, maybe you're not preaching it strong enough or hard enough. In other words, grace does seem so, so very, very good. And because it is that good, because it is that amazing, that people are going to misunderstand it. And they're going to think it is way beyond even their scope. And so if I'm really saved by grace, then why not just continue to sin? Can't I? Shouldn't I be able to do that? And here's how he responds to that, verse 2. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That phrase, by no means, is the strongest form of the Greek verb, no. What it really means is, no, 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 no. No, no, get your little grandma finger wagging out there and try, try one of those. Your, your grandma ever wagged her finger at you, right? Okay, no, 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 no. No, don't go down that road. No, no, he is saying. The phrase, <clears throat> we died to sin, is an interesting one. In fact, I remember a pastor years ago who shared a story about himself who was having some struggles with sin. And um, he just could not get this thinking right. And he went to a counselor. The counselor was trained biblically and theologically. And so the counselor opened up to this passage for him. Uh, and the pastor said, you know what? Okay, I've read the passage. Um, it says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Um, but that's my problem. I haven't died yet to sin. The counselor looked at that and said, read, read that again. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The pastor said, yeah, see, that, that, that's it. And the counselor said, read it again slowly. How can we who died to sin? And all of a sudden the light clicked on. I've already died. I'm dead. I am dead to sin. It's in the past tense. I no longer am controlled by it. And that's the first thing, First Baptist, that I want us to know and understand about this is that we have to recognize who we are and now are standing with God. That, that when we understand how much grace He has given to us, when we understand how much love He has given to us, when we understand who we are in Him, that now it's not just a place of I'm trying to get away from sin, I'm trying to destroy sin, I'm trying to walk away, but I can't because it still has me. No, no, we understand that grace abounds, and because grace is abounding, because grace is so good, because God loves us so much, that we want to walk away from it and not be captivated by it. Not because we have to, but because we want to, when we truly understand grace. All right, you have your outline. Let's go through some points here, okay? Understanding, I wrote, who I am in God's grace. First point is this. Understand I've been placed in Christ. I've been placed in Christ. What does that mean? The phrase in Christ, or in this uh, verse, it's called baptized into Christ, is used about 120 times in the New Testament. In fact, it's also used here in this passage in verse 11, in Christ. And 
let me just say, if something is used like 120 times in the New Testament and it's all pointing to the same thing, it, it's something that needs to be reiterated, something that needs to go deep into our lives and kind of be understood. And, and here's the best way that I can teach it. Some of you have seen me teach this before, but probably today in your uh, bulletin you received an, an, an offering envelope. Let's say this represents your life. And as you live your life, Maybe life begins happy, maybe it doesn't so much, but hurts and pains and struggles kind of come into our life. And this nice, beautiful piece of paper, this offering envelope, kind of gets torn up, it gets crumbled, it gets scrunched up. Maybe it even gets torn, and maybe it even gets destroyed, and doesn't feel like it's useful, nothing could go back in there. That's maybe how your life feels right now. Maybe many of you have walked in here today kind of feeling that way. Life has done that to you. But what happens when you become a Christian? What happens when you give your life to Christ and you are now found in Christ is that God takes your life, he kind of untangles it, he uncrumples it up, he folds it back up as to how it was when it first began, and he takes that life and he sticks it, representing in this Bible would be like in Christ, he puts it in here and he closes it. And now he says, you can't even see that envelope. You can't even see your life because you are now in Christ. And when people see you, they don't see you, but they see Christ because you are in Christ. And this is how now you look to God. That you are freed, you are forgiven, you no longer are guilty, you are now holy and blameless, Scripture says about us. That is who you are in Christ. And some of you just need to grasp that. That's all you need to grasp. But this is no longer you in your life, but now your life is hidden in Christ. And if you will just begin to dwell upon that, if you will begin to say, that's where it begins for me, that is, um, you'll be miles ahead of the game. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 talks about that. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about that as well. We as community groups are going to be going through and going deep into Ephesians chapter 2. For seven weeks, well, six weeks in your community groups, you're going to be camping out in Ephesians chapter 2 and see all that God says about you and understanding how much in Christ you now are, which says in Scripture that I am holy and blameless. In fact, would you say that with me? I am holy and blameless. Say it with me. I am holy and blameless. That's what God's Word says about you. And I know some of you are probably thinking, oh man, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because it sounds like Pastor Brad is preaching some sort of heresy here. You know, we don't hear that message. Do you think you got a little bit of a puffed up opinion about yourself? I, I, maybe, but that's what God says about you. He says when you are found in Christ that you are now holy and blameless. You are in Christ. You can be seen in that way. That's how God sees you and you need to start seeing yourself in that way. Verse 3. says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, and there is the phrase, into Christ were baptized into his death. Which, by the way, next week we are going to have our very first baptisms in our services. Right behind that door right there that's being worked on, we have a baptism tank because they didn't have a baptism tank here in the, in the uh, Scottish Rite Temple. Um, but this is no longer their grounds. These are God's holy grounds, and we want to baptize people and show the change. And so next week, invite someone to come because we are going to hear and we're going to celebrate life change happening for the first time in this building next week. It says, baptized into Christ. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized also into his death? What that word means, that phrase means, is a Greek word to dip underwater. And the connotations are just like if there was a piece of wool that went down into some dye, that as we are baptized going down into the water, dying to ourselves and rising again, we take on the characteristics of how we are baptized in that kind of a sense of wool going down into some dye and white wool now coming up, be it red, be it pink, be it purple, whatever it may be. Same for us. When we die to our sins, we go down into the water, we come back up, we are taking on those characteristics of Christ. That's what it means. It's what it, we celebrate. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, there's enough there to dwell upon the, for the next hour. But let me tell you what this means, and it's on your outline. What this means is that you now have a new identity. Next fill in there. You have a new identity in Christ. God sees you differently. A few years ago, there was a gal who had been... Um, struggling with her faith. She was a professing Christian, but she kind of went through a desert experience in her life. Uh, she denounced her faith. Uh, she stopped going to church. She even uh, hated herself. She became obsessed with a, a weight problem that she had. So every time she eat, she began to purge, and she struggled with bulimia. Um, she was in a relationship, and it was a bad breakup, um, and she began to struggle with depression. And one February night, um, she decided, you know what, this just isn't worth it. And so she overdosed on a bottle of aspirin. Some friends uh, rushed into her apartment where she was living, um, rushed her to the ER. They pumped her stomach. And as she laid in the hospital bed, these two friends came around her and said, um, you know, we, we need to share a little bit about the hope that we have in faith in Jesus. The friends came here to First Baptist. And as they began to share with the girl, she admitted that she had been a Christian before, but she kind of lost favor. She didn't think it did a whole lot for her. She quit going to church. And as, as, as that happened in her life, she really saw herself totally differently. The friend said, well, you've got to come with us to First Baptist because you'll hear about a God who loves you and is actively pursuing you and a God who wants a relationship with you and will dispel the myths that you think the world has said about you that you now believe. And so she started coming. One week led to two, two weeks to three, three weeks to four, to a month, to a year. She'd been coming for a couple of years. And she wrote me an email one day, just kind of a changed person. Let me read to you what she wrote. She says, as I started seeing God as someone who loved me and who was generally pleased with me, Everything in my life changed. I started gradually even to liking myself, which was exciting and kind of weird for me. 
I would spend hours in my room being by myself, being with God, excited, even giggly at being in my own company. I would still weep with loneliness at having lost some of my good friends, but I felt for once like I was becoming a whole person. I had small inklings of self-respect, and I even sometimes looked in the mirror and thought that I was pretty. It was a whole new world for me. I found that the more I read the Bible, the more I tried to follow what I read, the happier I was. The more I came to believe Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the more everything was okay. I mean, if Jesus was the Messiah, it means God is real, and not only that, but it's the God that Jesus spoke of. And this God loves me, she says. He loves me hardcore. My whole way of thinking has now changed. And it has been changing. In fact, the more I come to believe it, the more I am way excited to even wake up in the morning. My gosh, she says, the story ends well. She says, Pastor Brad, Are you still excited about that when you wake up every morning? She says, sometimes, literally, I have to run into my living room and start dancing. I am so, and here she says a naughty word, a naughty potty, okay? So um, I'll just say, I am so excited that the story ends happy. And I think, hey, that's fine. That, that, you know, that's being changed too. But, but how excited she is. She's saying, man, it is changing. My whole view of myself is now based upon what God thinks of me. I have a new identity. And if some of you are here today, you're struggling with that. Understand how much God's grace is for you, given to you, and if you were the last one here on earth, it would still be given to you by what he did on the cross. And what that grace also means is not only that you have a new identity, let me give you the second point here. It means that you also, your nature has been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ is the way scripture says it. Let me read it out of 6 and 7. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free now from sin. What does that mean? Let me explain it to you this way. We used to be slaves to sin, Paul says. But now we are freed from that because dead men don't sin, meaning we have a choice. Now, it does not mean that you're always perfect. It does not mean that you always get it right. But what it means, and this is the next fill-in, is that you now have an ability. You now have the ability to say no to sin. Before, when you were a slave to it, you had to do what it told you to do. But now you can say no. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but you can say No. In fact, you can say, sin, you're not my master. Would you repeat that after me? Repeat it with me. Sin, you're not my master. Say it one more time. Sin, you're not my master. Some of you just need to repeat that this week. When when, When some sort of a sin comes up to understand, sin doesn't rule you anymore. Now, when you came to Christ, that's called salvation. One time act, you gave your life to Christ. We will see 
demonstration of that baptism next week and the joy of what that means. But now we all live in what is called sanctification. We are working out what that means. We are becoming more like Christ. And sanctification is the process of becoming in your behavior. Now you begin to behave differently. What you already have learned is your identity. So I'm a Christian. I follow his ways now. I, 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 I no longer pay attention to the old way of thinking. I'm, I'm not a master. I'm not a slave to sin. Sin is not my master. I have a new identity. In fact, let me, let me say it this way. When I was in the third grade, um, I, I had a great teacher. Second grade, I didn't have such a great teacher. And the second grade was a teacher by the name of Mrs. Stuckey. In fact, her name was not Mrs. Stuckey, it was Ms. Stuckey. You know, one of those MS kind of thing, Ms. Stuckey. You didn't know what she was kind of, kind of persons. Ms. Stuckey was mean. Oh, Miss Stuckey was ruthless. Miss Stuckey was, was, was one, she would look at you, I mean, th- second grader, right? She would look at you and she would point her finger if you're talking out of turn and she would simply say, Ryan, shut up. And you would shut up. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was Miss Stuckey. Miss Stuckey might have driven a broom to school every Sunday. <laughs> that was Miss Stuckey. That was my second grade teacher. However, I also then had a great teacher the next year. Her name was Miss Campbell. It was Mrs. Campbell. Mrs. Campbell went to my church. Mrs. Campbell was a sweet old lady. Mrs. Campbell was, what's the old advertisement? Mm-mm, good. Campbell's, right? Mm-mm, good. Oh, Mrs. Campbell, she was the best. I was 10 years, she was like 75 years old. I was 10, I had a crush on Mrs. Campbell. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Campbell, wow. Two totally different teachers. One, I did what I had to do because if I didn't, I would be belittled because, because I was demanded to do it, M- Ms. Stuckey. Another, I did it because I loved my teacher. And my teacher loved me, and she showed that she loved me. And I wanted to do it. Had to versus want to. I learned so much from Ms. Campbell. Love Ms. Campbell. Ms. Stuckey, not so much. Old master, new master. I no longer had to be in Miss Stuckey's class. I now was in Miss Campbell's class. New identity, new person, new ways of doing things. Remember, you have now a different master. You have a different skipper telling you what to do. And it's out of love. It's out of blessing. It's out of grace that you now listen to that. That's what grace does. It frees you up. You have an ability now to choose, and you choose because of how much love is given to you. In fact, next point I had, it's on the back of the outline. You got to understand this about grace. It means that now you are also raised with Christ. You're raised with Christ. Verse 8 says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you know what that means? That means, next fill in there, it says, this means I have a new destiny. You have a new destiny before you. 
St. Augustine was one of our church fathers, lived thousands of years ago, um, hundreds of years ago, I should say, um, wrote the book Confessions. It's actually kind of 13 little books put together. Um, it reads like uh, someone leading a wild life today. When he was an adult, he came to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. But before that, he was a wild party sower, sowing his wild oats, partying up a storm. He lived in Rome, lived a wild party life, becomes a Christian as an adult. Six months after he becomes a Christian, he sees a woman who he had spent many wild nights with walking down the streets. She's on the opposite side of the street, and she yells across the street, Hey, Augustine! And Augustine hears her voice. He recognizes her voice. But he knows he can't look up. Because if he looks up, he knows he can't face her. He knows he might backslide. He knows he isn't strong enough. He knows he might get back into the pattern of the old ways. And so he just keeps on walking. She yells again, hey, Augustine, he just keeps on walking. Augustine, he keeps walking. She runs across the street. She jumps over into uh, right in front of him, and she says, hey, which is Latin for come on, baby. Come on, it's me. Hey, I'm here. I bet you did not know that, did you? You now know that. And here it is right in front of his face. What does he do? He realizes now he's a believer in Jesus Christ. He's understanding what God has said about him. He has the ability now to say no. He has a new identity. And so he slowly looks up at the woman, looks into her face, and says, I'm sorry. I may share a name with your friend But the man you're looking for died six months ago. What did he understand? He had a new identity. He had a new ability. He had a new destiny. And this week when you're tempted, realize you no longer have to give in to that sin. You're a changed woman. You're a changed man. Let me go back and read verse 8, in case this hadn't settled in yet. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9 and 10, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to who? He lives to God. And so what Paul is trying to say here is that temptation that has its claws in you is ultimately defeated because of Christ's victory and your destiny is now altered. And to believe these truths about you. In fact, look back at those three truths that we wrote down there. That you have a new identity. You have a new ability. You have a new destiny. Here's my question to you. Do you see yourself in that way? See, that's where it begins. 
Do you see yourself in that way? Some of you are here and you are held prisoner by things that you did last week, last month, last year, maybe even last night. But if you confess those, Scripture says he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive you your sins. And allow you to take a step out of that lifestyle. It allows you to see yourself differently. Do not live in Romans chapter 3, 23, living, which says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we know that. But the chapters go on and it talks about now in Romans chapter 6 that we've been given this free gift of grace. And our guilt no longer holds us down. Okay, so Pastor Brad, come on, help, help me get this. Help me learn this because this can be kind of esoteric. It can be a little heady. How, how do we make this happen? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. What's your response? Back page, two thoughts. One is this. First of all, believe it. Believe it. This is what God says about you. And even though Satan will try and whisper every little way he can to say, no, it's not true. Yes, this is what God says about you. This is what grace is. Okay? You say, you know what, I, 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 okay, how, how do I grab this, though? It's a little heady. It's a little out there. It's a little surreal. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't feel it. Well, let me ask you this. Can something be true even if you don't understand it? Yeah, right? I mean, I don't always understand electricity, but I still use it. Right? I don't understand, you know, nuclear fission and how that all works, but, you know, I, I, it, it's a concept. It, it, it's true. I don't always understand the female brain, right? <laughs> Told my wife that last night. I don't always get what's going on up there. She just smiled. Yep. Yep. She didn't always understand mine either. Doesn't mean it's not true. Something can be true even if we don't understand it. Let me ask you a second thing. Can something be true even if you don't feel it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So like when God says your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven, we no longer need to feel guilty. We're now free. And again, we, we, we no longer feel guilty because of God's grace his love given to us, not because we have to not feel guilty, but because we now can choose not to be guilty, because we now stop that lifestyle and we begin a new lifestyle. In 1865, President Abraham Lincoln signed a document that was written up called the Emancipation Proclamation. The second it was signed, every slave in the United States was set free. But years later, people would go back and see that slaves were still living in their slave lifestyle. They were still living on the plantations, many of them. They never were freed because they never took that step to say, I'm a free person now. I can change my actions. I can do things differently. They never allowed that difference to lead to a different lifestyle. And too many of us Listen to Satan saying, you're a slave, you're a slave. You don't belong at First Baptist. If they knew what you did last month, if they knew what you did last year, if they knew what you did last night, you shouldn't be there. Instead, God says, come, confess, repent, sin no more. 
praise. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word there, consider, is a word. It's an accounting term. That means compute, calculate it, count it up. It's a rational term. It's a mind over emotion kind of word. You just got to get this in. Believe it. Second thing I want to tell you is this now. Live it. Live it or even live in it. Make it a habit. Verse 12 through 14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. And what's, talk, what, what, what's that there? It's talking about body members. So it's talking about your eyes, your hands, your tongue, your feet, your eyes. What do they look at? Your hands, what do they touch? Your, 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 your tongue, what does it say? It says, don't present your body members to the evil one. It says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under what, First Baptist? You're under grace. You now live under grace, which means sin is not my master. Say that again with me. Sin is not my master. Say it one more time. Sin is not my master. Hey, hey, hey try and whisper that as well under your breath because um, tomorrow when you're at work and temptation comes like down the hallway, like you probably don't want to shout that out really loud, right? Okay? So, so try and just whisper it, but say it so only you can hear. Okay, ready? Go. Sin is not my master. It's not. You have a choice. You have a new identity. You have a new destiny. You, you live it. You live in that. But before you do, you have to believe it. Theologically before practically. You're dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. And I, guaranteed, guaranteed, as soon as you leave this place, Satan will try and convince you that you are unworthy. You are unacceptable. You are a sin-sick person who never will amount to anything in God's eyes. But is that what God has said? No, no, no. Wag your grandma finger. No. Paul says that. No, 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 no. That's not at all what it is. You are a saint whom God has declared righteous. Believing Satan's lies will defeat you. It will end up in fruitless living. But believing God's truth about you and your identity, that's what sets you free. But understand, if you try and earn that acceptance, now you're going to struggle because you cannot earn it. You simply have to accept it. That's what grace is. You have to just accept it. Grace. See, we don't serve God to gain his acceptance. We're accepted, so we serve God. We don't follow God in order to be loved. We are loved That's why we follow God. Totally different way of thinking. Don't think Miss Stucky type thoughts. Think Miss Campbell. Mmm, Miss Campbell. Miss Campbell. Understand what God has said about you. Now, folks, please, when you walk out of this building, realize, too, that we are a family here at First Baptist. That's why we're encouraging you to get in those community groups. 
Remember the first phrase I gave to you. Personal relationships are the ark that is built before the flood. Take those steps. Gather. Those groups gather in homes. And when they gather, they encourage each other. They say, remember who we are. They open God's word and they struggle with it. They grapple with it. They come away saying, okay, we can understand now who we are in Christ. In Christ. Not because, again, we have to, but because we get to. We're accepted. Not because... Not because we're trying to earn God's approval, but we're accepted because he's just given it to us. We don't earn his love. His love is already given to us. So I pray this week, you will take steps in that. And you will be a blessing to others as others are a blessing to you when you believe it and you live it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your truth and your word. I pray that we will be people of your word who live out our faith. God, we would be people who don't just um, come to church on a Sunday morning and hear some teaching and then go back out and do nothing with it, but that, God, we would be people who, whose lives are different, whose lives uh, reflect your incredible love, reflect your incredible goodness, and Lord, that that goodness and that love will just rock our world. God, I pray that as we have talked about grace and what it means, that that grace is not just some high thought, but Lord, it's a practical thought that says your goodness, your love, undeserved, cannot be earned, is for anyone and everyone. So folks, if you would be here today and you'd say, you know what, Pastor Brad, I don't know if I've said yes to that grace yet. Then today's your day to say yes. To say, Lord Jesus, I realize I have sinned in my life. Lord Jesus, I today am acknowledging that you went to the cross to die for me. And Lord Jesus, today I invite you to be my Lord. I'm going to turn from my ways. I'm going to sin and no, uh, uh, go and sin no more. And Lord, that that goodness now, your grace can come to be the living factor, the changing factor, whatever I do, whatever I say. You know, folks, if you just say those words under your breath today, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. He promises he will. And we want to help you take a step in what that means. In fact, we invite you to go to our information area. We have some information for you that will help you take those steps of understanding, give you a Bible, some other literature that will just allow you to understand who you are in Christ now. Pray as well. You'll take a step to sign up at the community table, group table, that um, it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference in how you operate and how you take steps in your life from here on out. So, Lord, as we've come to hear your word, and now, Lord, as it comes to not only hear but to do, I pray that as we worship you with one last song, Lord, that we will worship you not just with words on the screen, but true heart change of understanding how good your grace is for us. We love you. Lord, thank you for allowing us to believe it. Now may we go live it. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray.